<laughs> uh, AARP, that's what Peter said. <laughs> uh, all right, well, speaking of numbers, I had a guy walk up to me and, and, and say this probably should be clarified. This year's men's retreat, the, you know, we've separated hotel costs from registration costs, which is unusual for us in the past. And so normally, I think if you see your registration costs as a total number for you, the hotel number stays the same no matter how many people you pile into that room. So it's $84 a night for the room. If you put two people in there, three people in there, it's $84 a night. Not for you personally, for the room, right? So if there's two of you in there, then it's, what, 40, $42 split the first night, $42 split the next night. If there's three of you in there, you do the math, right? <laughs> but if that's a room cost, not an individual cost. So as long as you got somebody else in there, that's going to reduce the cost. If you got a couple of people in there with you, that'll reduce the cost as well. So thought that needed to be clarified. Uh, I don't want to take too much longer announcement-wise, and we're going to send something out just to clarify this, but I know a lot of you weren't here last week, and just, you know, significant news for us, and I, I won't go into the details, and, and I'm going to introduce this man again uh, with a little more detail in the coming weeks when I ask him to, to preach and fill our pulpit, but um, we have, over the last six or eight months or so, got to spend some time with uh, Ronald Laitano. You guys would know Ronald from leading us in worship, leading our uh, choir productions over the last couple of years, and uh, some changes took place at the church that he had been serving on staff for nearly 10 years uh, this past year, and so he became churchless and became part of our church, and we begin to observe just gifts and strengths in his life that uh, we want to get to know more, and so we have decided to offer Ronald a uh, pastoral intern position with us for 2017, and just to see how the Lord will lead us beyond that. We're trusting that he does have a plan beyond that, but this is a time for us to get to know him and walk with him and allow him to serve along with the pastoral staff as well. So we just want to ask you to open your hearts to this man and make room in your lives to receive from him. We think he has much to offer and to encourage in your walk, and he is standing all the way in the back back there. So in case you don't know who Ronald is, that's, that's who Ronald is. All right. Well, this morning we're going to start a new series that we're calling Vital Signs, and it's intended to start the year off discussing something very fundamental and basic to us. And you know, the, the world gets this, right? The culture gets this, right? By now you have been inundated with uh, organizational ideas. You know, Walmart's got specials going on on plastic boxes that you can organize your life and stick them all in a plastic box and buy some cheap shelf, organize everything onto a shelf. So this is a time of year what the world figures out. You got to organize your life. And then, of course, you need to address the health issues, right? So Fitbits are flying everywhere. How many of you guys got a Fitbit? Fitbits. Fitbits are flying around everywhere. Gym memberships are available to you. Treadmills that, you know, you'll walk on for a while and then store furniture or, or clothing on top of it. Um, all these things, eating better, nutritional help, vitamins, all right, floods the market right now. And how many guys are, are intending as you start the year to do something different in the category of eating and exercise? Let me see. How many of you guys think those people who just raised their hand are just ridiculous? Get over it. I mean, just, <laughs> a couple of y'all are a little too enthusiastic in that. Well, I, I got to say this. 
two helpful things take place at this point in the year. They, they, they really are necessary, and even the world has figured it out, and it wouldn't be bad for us to learn something in these categories. Right? One, health matters. It just does. You know, something that is got a life to it, also has dysfunction and breakableness and disease and doesn't work right to it. And then it has thriving, right? Whatever it is. So health matters in our lives. And so we are wise to pay attention to that. Uh, Secondly, you, you have to learn intentional management in life, especially if you live in a land of abundance. And so that's the land we live in, right? Most of us uh, we've, we've got too much stuff going on in our lives. We, we've got too many things and opportunities and things we want to pursue. If you don't intentionally manage that, it will just drag you through life. And so you'll just find yourselves living in seasons and doing things that those weren't priorities, but I wish they were. I can't organize my life and I, I'm always behind. I'm never liking the way things are going. That's what awaits us in the land of abundance. Now, we're not people who live in a third world country. We've got two or three things in our lives, and that's it. We, we've got 20 or 30 or two or 300 things in our lives. So two good things that are happening as we start this year is attention is being brought to issues of health, and attention is being brought to how to organize and manage our lives intentionally. But what I don't hear is something that as Christians, you and I know is primary in our lives, that life is more than the here and the now, the material things and the physical things that make up our world. And I'm not seeing much by way of a commercial for that. You know, there's no ads being run about what are you doing to take care of your soul in the year 2017. So if we're not careful, We'll pick up on some decent ideas and categories that we really do need some help, and we'll become very intentional and get helped in those categories, but we'll neglect something that I'm, I'm going to make the point today is of greater importance to our well-being, and that has to do with the vital signs, the health level of our own soul. Tim Keller's written a new book called Making Sense of God. He says this, he says, a secular age is one in which all the emphasis is on the saculum on the here and now, without any concept of the eternal. Meaning in life, guidance and happiness are understood and sought in present time, economic prosperity, material comfort, and emotional fulfillment. Just pause there for a second, because those those are the big three. If you're in the basketball, everybody's got to have a big three. This is the big three of life. And if you look at your own life, you look and see, how do you do when any one of these three gets messed with, gets off kilter, right? Economic prosperity, how do you do when your prosperity financially gets messed with? Material comforts, the things we take security in, and emotional fulfillment, right? These are the things that we almost use as guideposts is, do I have a good life or not? Well, I measure it by those three especially our culture does. Individuals could profess to not be secular people, to have religious faith, yet at the practical level, the existence of God may have no noticeable impact on their life decisions and conduct. 
This is because in a secular age, even religious people tend to choose lovers and spouses, careers and friendships and financial options with no higher goal than their own present time personal happiness. Even if you are not a secular person, the secular age can thin out or secularize faith until it is seen as simply one more choice in life, along with job, recreation, hobbies, politics, rather than as the comprehensive framework that determines all life choices. Listen, you have notes so you can take these thoughts home with you and spend some time with them during the week, right? You have notes so you can create a a quiet time and revisit with God these passages, these thoughts, That quote is just loaded with some insights that I think we need to wrestle through because I do observe in the Christian universe that you and I are a part of that the matters of faith, today we're going to talk about the issues of the soul, they're just one thing amongst the other categories like these, you know, job, recreation, hobbies, politics, family, right? It's just one amongst the many rather than the thing that comprehensively governs all the rest of the others. See, when you read the Bible, the issues of our communion with God, the issues of the soul, they're intended to govern everything else. They're not intended to be one among those other choices. So if we're going to start out in January, managing life, aiming at healthy lives, then today what I want to install in this series is, well, what does it mean to be alive? That's really, really, really basic, isn't it? Some of these obvious questions are things we overlook and just run off down the road trying to live. What does it mean to be alive? What is life? What does life consist of? Because that's going to inform whatever I'm going to aim at to be healthy, right? I I need a good definition for life if I want a healthy life, right? Just to make something healthy. Well, how do you push it toward health? We got to know what it is. So today, let's start by looking at God's view of life. What exactly is life? Let Let me start with the obvious. Life is at least what we would call two dimensional. It is material and it is immaterial. It is the natural realm that we live in that we can come in contact through our senses. It is the here and the now that gets measured by time. But it is immaterial as well. It is spiritual. It is a matter of our soul. It it involves things that mean something to us at a deep heart level. It's the inside invisible things. And those are the things that really matter to us the most. And those are the things that hurt the most, right? I'd rather have a broken foot than a broken heart, right? You've lived through your life and you've experienced some things that just turn you inside out. They're not just physical. They're not just, oops, I put on a few pounds. They're, they're deeper than that. And so they're, because we're deeper beings than that, right? And the Bible's all over that. Listen to the wisdom that scripture gives and touches on these issues. Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. All right, now this is not a Fitbit commercial, right? You guys know what Fitbits are? Those things you wear around your wrist, they monitor how many steps you took today and what your heart rate was and how many calories you burned. I mean, it's kind of a cool device. 
But long before Fitbits came out that are monitoring every heartbeat and telling you, here's what your pulse is, and here's how many steps you took, monitoring what you're doing in the physical realm, God long ago was saying, hey, install some kind of a spiritual Fitbit in your life where you watch your heart. And it doesn't mean boom, boom, this heart, right? When the Bible uses the term heart, it's describing that immaterial dimension of us that's our soul, our thoughts, our value system, our emotions, the things that we're compelled to do, the reasons why we decide to do this instead of doing that. That's, that's seated in this immaterial place that the, the heart is how the Bible tends to describe it. It involves the mind. It's our thinking processes. It's our emotions as well. But we're to watch over that part of us carefully. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. All right, so the Bible steps into our world and says, hey, pay attention. You're not just a physical being. There's another dimension to you. It lives and experiences life differently than just the physical. It has an eternal dimension to it that will go on and on and on beyond this life. Now, you know, when I read that verse, you know, we, we read it through the ears of a first century person and we think, you know, don't fear those who can just kill the body. And what comes to mind is Roman soldiers, oppressive governments, etc. And, and we don't have anything like that. So this is a verse that you and I quickly dismiss. But, but what if today, rather than dealing with Roman oppression, we were just visiting the beginning of the year and, and dealing with health issues? Dealing with the possibility that living in this world, you could have problems this year with your heart, your physical heart, heart failure, heart disease. It's in your family, perhaps. It's in your gene pool. Uh, cancer. Maybe you have cancer. Maybe you've had the threat of having cancer. Maybe you've had a family member who's had cancer, right? And so when that stuff draws near to us, it raises concerns for us. Right? Those are the things of death. Those are the things that visit us and threaten our lives. And you know, the older I get, the more I hear those threats. I don't know what it is. Right? I, I hear them speak to me a whole lot more. I, you know, there's lots of aches and pains in my life that I ignored and ignored and ignored and ignored when I was younger. But now when that little thing goes off, you start wondering, what is that? <laughs> is this the beginning of the end? You know, that's just kind of where your mind goes. Right, so we're going to venture into 2017, and, and some of us are going to pay really, really careful attention to our cholesterol and really, really careful attention to our carbs. Why? Because we want to guard our health. We want to protect our health. And yet God comes along and says, hey, I'm not telling you to blow your health off here. Right? Which, by the way, this is not a message to say, hey, don't exercise and don't eat well. Just, just I'm trying to... You know, I'm trying to eat a little better. I'm not, that's not a big priority for me. But exercise is, so I am trying to exercise. I can have my trainer vouch for me that I was in the gym you know, for an hour yesterday, right? And I'm still moving, and I thought I'd be paralyzed, actually. I asked him, am I going to be able to move tomorrow? And I actually, I can move. So I, I do think that we do need physical dimensions to be responsible with in our lives. But the Bible turns around and says, hey, look, if you're going to protect something, if you're going to guard something, if you're going to pay attention to something, 
make sure you pay attention to not just your physical realm and the things that can threaten that, but pay attention to that which can threaten your soul. Have a priority, have a game plan in place for that. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9 says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Right? All the days of their life in Deuteronomy, remember, this is where they're getting ready to venture into the promised land. So this is rehearsal on how to, how to live a good life in the promised land. And one of the keys to them living a good life is to watch your heart. And, and then you get informed about your soul right here. Right? What you just hear in this is that your soul has leaks in it. You put stuff in and it leaks out. It's got holes in it somehow. So the warning here is make sure you don't forget. And the Bible often warns about that. You know, if, if going into this year and being a healthier person means watching your weight, watching what you eat, having a healthier soul means watch out for what you forget. Watch out for what you let get at a distance from you. Things that used to mean something to you and grab your heart and awaken your faith. Now they have slowly just diminished and become less and less and less in your life. Now the warning for these guys is you're going into a land of promise. Milk and honey are flowing. Taps are running, babe. It's a wonderful land. It's full of God's intentional blessing toward your life. However, if you ever want to enjoy that, not because it's not enjoyable in and of itself, you're going to need to watch over your soul. Because if you get in that land and you forget the things that God has made real in your life, you're not going to have a good time in that land. You're going to have a miserable time in that land. So I need to learn some soul management. Matthew 15, verse 10, Jesus said, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the body that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. All right, and again, this is a passage that we listen to that and we go, hey, I got no context text for unwashed hands, right? Ceremonial cleansing, as we've learned from the Old Testament, major issue for the folks that day. That's not a major issue for us, but you know what is a major issue for us in our culture? Is making sure nutritionally you eat the right thing. Is that a bad thing? No, not at all. But, but this passage raises your awareness and it says, hey, it's not wrong for you to pay attention to those things. But what I don't get, Bible looks at us and says, I don't get why you're paying so much attention to that you're not paying attention to this. All right, so let's suppose you get a little nutritionally reckless this year. What's going to happen? Are you going to put on a few pounds? Right? Okay. That's not a good thing. But let's suppose you get a little bit reckless in your soul. What's going to happen? Well, this is an ugly list, isn't it? You're going to have your hands full then with evil thoughts, murder, adultery, Sexual immorality, theft, of course, coveting, which comes before theft, false witness, slander. 
And anybody ever stop and think as you revisit 2016 and you could think back that there were times in which there was conflict in your life, there were relationships that had gone bad, the way you felt about somebody, the way somebody felt about you, you had done something toward them, you had said something that was damaging toward them. Did you ever stop and think that that was a mismanaged soul that did that? That when you fail to manage your soul, it becomes easy, easier for you to slander someone, to gossip about them, to make room for a lust that turns into pornography, that turns into adultery. And then, then you're left cleaning up the mess that that is. And, and how many of you guys recognize that these kinds of things, when they come into people's lives, they are much worse than, ooh, my pants are getting a little tight. And I understand, hey, we want to be healthy. But hey, let's be careful because this Bible has been, always made this noise. It has always been concerned about these issues in our lives. So if I've set out the year saying, hey, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in the gym. And, and some people have managed to pull that off. They're just amazingly disciplined to do that. But the Bible is screaming at you in another category. And I think we all know this. If your soul gets out of shape and you get unhealthy in your soul, trust me, you're going to have a whole lot bigger problems on your hands than if your body gets out of shape. I know Walmart didn't run any ads like that and neither did any gym memberships, but this is what the Bible is trying to say to us, right? I need, I need a strategy to manage my soul. First Peter 2 says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain, go on a diet from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Got to tell you this, there are, there's more likely a chance that you as a Christian in America, have identified what food you need to stay away from in 2017, because you know that screws up your diet. That's the thing. I've got to just, no more sweets. Oh, I love this. That one thing, got to go. It's more likely as a Christian in America today that you know what that is rather than knowing what your flesh needs to abstain from for the sake of your soul. What is it in you that awakens jealousy that derails everything about what you're doing? What is it in you that creates ambitions that get reckless and you become blind and you hurt people? You make bad decisions in your life. What is it in you? What, what is it in your past that you keep trying to escape that controls who you can be today and who you can't be today. See, the Bible comes along and says, hey, how about you abstain from those things? How about you put some distance between you and that for the sake of your soul? But here's an interesting dimension that Isaiah brings out, and it's brought out elsewhere in Scripture as well. The psalmists often sound this way. Isaiah said this, my soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. I, you. You may not be realizing this, but you are built a certain way. You are designed a certain way. The creator made us for himself. So there is an orienting feature that God has installed in humanity that is 
needing, longing for, hungry, desirous. That's what it feels like on the inside. You got desires on the inside of you? You got passions on the inside of you? You got stuff you want to run after on the inside of you? You've got something that compels you towards something like, like hunger does? That's by design. You and I are made to be yearning, longing creatures. But here's what we don't do a good job of figuring out. We're made to long, like that song we sang. We're made to long for God. I'm a creature who's hungry for God. The psalmist over and over and over again would cry out, my soul thirsts for you. When will I come and appear before you, the psalmist would say. Right, so you wake up in the morning and there's this thing on the inside of you that feels like an itch. It feels like a compulsion. It feels like a craving and a desire. If you mismanage that, if you don't understand that, where it wants to go, you'll, you'll try and answer it by going to the wrong thing. So you run to people to be something because there's this desire in you. You'll run to success, you'll run to applause, you'll run to something that feels a certain way because this longing keeps compelling you to move towards something, value something, treasure something, own it. But listen, this is news for us to hold on to in 2017. That urging is given to us by God. And primarily, it is to be directed toward him. Listen, and this, is, this is why some of us run to the refrigerator too much. I mean, just there's this longing in us. There's something in us that says, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I got to do something. I got to pursue something. I got to own something. Okay, that, that's the restlessness of the soul that wants to find its peace in God. And I need to head there, right? I need to have a plan this year to make that real. So what did God have in mind when he designed life, right? The creator made life and he gave it to us in our soul, right? There's a physical dimension, but there's a soulish dimension to our lives as well. What kind of strategy am I going to have in place to make sure I don't neglect my soul this year? All right, well, everybody's into apps, right? You got, you got apps on your phone. I started the year off looking for some apps that would help me in all kinds of categories. I did find some. I'm going to install one this morning. It's a little bit of a weird app. Uh, how many of you guys have heard of PS90? It's an exercise thing, isn't it? PS90? All right, it's also Psalm 90. Right? Those of you who are a little bit too much in the gym and not enough in the Bible, Psalm 90. You abbreviate Psalm PS 90. Right? Here's what PS 90 says. Verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Right? Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, very basically, it's, it's sort of a countdown app. It teaches you to number your days. It teaches you to recognize you have been given a limited number of days. And every day that you live one, you subtract one from the total. And apparently, that puts me in touch with some things about my life, the nature of my life, the temporariness of this existence. 
the temporariness of this. That I'm only going to be in this thing for a temporary time. And then I'll receive a glorified body that I will live in for eternity that's going to be different than this one. So, you know, this one, you know, I, I don't need to be going to the gym to prepare for eternity with this body. Not a bad idea to keep it in shape for my run here. But there's something more coming. You know what's interesting is part of when the world jumps into the health category, it, it's, it, it doesn't celebrate the idea that we're going to number our days. It touches the idea of limited time frame with fear and trembling. And it installs that in you and I. So that some of us are going to the gym to work out. Listen, I'm, I'm, I need to do more working out, but I have a passion to work out because I, I know greater blood flow is going to help my brain function better. It's going it's to help me think more clearly so I can learn of God more. I can be used of God more physically, not being limited by aches and pains and discomfort and lack of sleep, etc. It's going to help me serve and advance the kingdom more. But can I tell you, that's not what I hear when somebody sells you on exercise. What I hear is this will help you with your fear of dying. This might even put death off a little bit. If you get in there and work out, eat a little better, you might push that dreaded death thing a little farther into the future. How many of y'all know that there's not an exercise program out there that can do that? (laughs) Exercise all you want. You're going to die when God is appointed for you to die. Now, that's not a discouragement to exercise. It just brings an awareness because if you just said, well, then why the heck exercise then? Well, you're asking that question because you're not looking to optimize who you are right now for the glory of God every day here on earth, which has a physical dimension to it. You're just trying to keep death at bay. Come on, Christian, don't waste your life trying to keep death at bay. We're not supposed to be afraid of death. This Bible actually says right here, teach me to number my days so that I may gain a heart of wisdom. I might learn to look at life from the perspective of one last day. Right, so when the sun goes down and the clock changes at midnight tonight, one last day, your app can go off on your thing and just remind you, right? I don't know how many days I got left. You know, maybe I've got 15,000 days left. You know, after today, I've got 14,999 left. Right now, at that point, it doesn't mean a whole lot. But, you know, when you get down to about 1,500, <laughs> right, starts changing a little bit. It has a little different feel to it. But it might be that I might deal with issues of the soul a little differently if I pay attention to this life expires. And only what goes into eternity is of ultimate value. I might treat my whole life a little different. I might gain a heart of wisdom in that category. You know, those of you guys who have managed to be people who can pull off faithfulness, you, you are at the gym, you are disciplined, uh, you are up at the crack of dawn, you are, are running before the streetlights go off in the morning, uh, you, you don't negotiate in that area. You know, people want to meet with you or something comes up and it's like, no, no, I'm, I, I can't do that. You know, maybe you don't even tell them why, maybe I, I, got, I got to go to the gym. All right, well, congratulations on that, but, but can, I, can I just inform you today, your soul matters more than your body, 
And so if you've managed to pull off that kind of regimen, that kind of discipline in the physical dimension of your life, can I just encourage you today, figure out what you need to do to have that kind of devotion to your soul. To have a kind of look that says, hey, you know, I can't do that because that's when I read my Bible and pray. And I can't make the gym today because I won't be able to open my word. I won't have time for that. I won't be able to, to, to let God have access to my heart on the inside because I'm, I'm going to use that precious hour to go make sure physically uh, I'm, I'm making sure death stays farther in the future. How many guys, you don't raise your hands, but how many guys compromise your workout schedule for the sake of your workout schedule? Man, I'm telling you, this, this is in America today for Christians, this is negotiable, but exercise is not. And part of that is a severe devotion to natural things. And we're the people in the world who are supposed to not be so devoted to those natural things. We bring insights into the world that the issues of our soul and our communion with God matter more than anything else. So here's a good definition for life. It starts back in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Right? The King James Version says when God did that, the man became a living soul. Right? So you get introduced to this thought here that, that there are components to you. You have this slow motion creation of God. God creates from dust. So there's a dust dimension to us. But God's not done. And we're not done. And we're not all that we're supposed to be. But there is a dust dimension to us. It's real. But until God breathes his life in to man, he is not what is described at the end of that passage. He's just dusty. <laughs> a terrible name for a child. Is anybody named Dusty here? I hope I don't. <clears throat> it's like, what were you thinking when you named your child Dusty? Um, Job said, the spirit of God has made me. And the breath, same word from Genesis, the breath of the Almighty gives me Life. <clears throat> so where do we get life from? Where does humanity get its life from? From the, the breath of God. There's a sense in which God's own life breathed on us, communicated to us, given to us, is what makes me alive. Before that, I'm very, I'm very one-dimensional, right? John... In the Gospel of John, the writings of John, John is probably the writer who gives us the most insights into the operation of the Spirit in this dimension. The, the, you know, we learn about the term being born again by the Spirit. The emphasis of spiritual life is all over the writings of the Apostle John, right? 47 times he's going to use the word life in his writings. So look at these real quickly. They're in your outline. Go back and meditate on them when you have some time. John chapter 1. Verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. 
And the life was the light of men. Right? Ultimately, where does life come from? And notice uniquely about man, though. I mean, because there's living plants and, you know, we're not pantheists. God created everything and there's living organisms and animals. But God did something unique with man that he didn't do with anybody else. He breathed his life into man uniquely. So what animates man, what makes me come to life, comes from the breath of God. John goes on, John chapter 3, verse 36, says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That same word, zoe, in the Greek. Moreover, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. John 4, 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Right? And we learn from John later that he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is in the dimension of our life. Our liveliness is associated with the spring of of the Holy Spirit in us. John chapter 5, verse 39. says, you search the scriptures, right? So now he's addressing religious people. These are not people who don't have any knowledge of the Bible and what it says. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. What does that say about those people in their current condition? This is what's unique about Christianity that you cannot miss. Otherwise, you just turn Christianity into a multiple choice, religious choice in this universe. In the matters of what belief system in the world is capable of giving human beings life. Now listen, if you only want to deal with natural life, the things that your Fitbit measures, your pulse, your heart is beating, there's blood transferred through your body, then it doesn't matter because everybody's alive, right? Believe whatever you want. Be a Muslim, Buddhist, Christian, whatever. Because you already have life. It's not a matter of life, is it? But when I listen to the Bible, the Bible comes along and disconnects people from life and says, oh, no, no, you got a heartbeat, but you don't have life. Well, now how do I get it? Well, you don't get it by meditating like a Buddhist or praying five times a day like in in Islam. You get it through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit he was referring to, he says, I will give you life. John 6, 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Do not make the mistake of sticking Christianity in a category with other religions. It is a belief system, yes. It does have moral dimensions to it, yes. But Christianity claims to impart life, which only matters if you recognize there's this thing called death. And you can be dead in this dimension even though you have a pulse, even though the people in the ER would say, hey, this guy's fine. Why'd you bring him in? Well, because he's dead. <laughs> I, get, I promise you he's not dead, right? EKG, ran the thing, boop, 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 that's his heart. He's alive. No, 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 he's quite dead. <laughs> and you'd be right. 
But you'd be speaking in another dimension, wouldn't you? You'd be speaking of their soul. John 10, verse 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Right? That's, there's, there's another side to this, right? I came to, have, to give them life. I turn this over. What does that say about their condition? It says they don't have it now. So there's another dimension to our lives. And then Jesus clarifies what this life is. He says, and this, in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So not only apologetically in defense of the Christian belief, to have life is to know God through Christ. There is no other way to have this life. But knowing God, awareness, communion, connection, vitality, right? Because when we read the scriptures, we find out that there's, there's unhealthy Christians. They, they have this life, but they are unhealthy. Well, why is that? Well, not because they didn't believe that Jesus Christ was the way and the truth and the life, but because they're just not receiving from God. There's no relationship. There's no transference. There's no communion. There's, there's no breath and experience and giving and exchange of life happening. So you can be dead in your soul, but you can also be very unhealthy in your soul. Here's an interesting little story. I think this is in your outline. Luke chapter 12. If not, you can turn to it. But go back and read this because this is a soul lesson. Luke chapter 12 is a soul lesson. This is what it looks like on a practical level when you don't define life correctly. When you don't have a good definition for what does life really consist of. Luke 12 verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, speaks to the crowd now, as this man just says this, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, right? Those are soul words, right? That's what we've been hearing the Bible say over and over again. Be careful what's in your soul, Guard it from things like covetousness. Well, so he just made a comment about what's in this man's soul. Here's why. Here's why we are careful with our soul. Because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Why is this man asking this question? Why is he in conflict with his brother? Because he has defined his life poorly. His life depends on his physical dimension. His life depends on what he owns and possesses. And Jesus goes on and addresses that. He says, he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, 
You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, you learn something about your soul in this passage, right? Isn't it interesting here? This guy has a bumper crop. He has an abundance. And in all of his abundance, he still has something to worry about. Why not just relax, man? Your crops are coming in like outrageous. They're just producing over and over and over again. But in his mind, he is panicking. What am I going to do? Why is he panicking? Because his life depends on him being able to hold on to that. I've got to cling to this because my future and my good is in this. As a matter of fact, he finally breaks the news to his soul, which tells you what his soul has been after, and saying, hey, soul, don't freak out anymore. Here's the, here's the solution to your freak out. We're going to tear down the barns and build bigger ones where we can store all that stuff for as long as we can imagine we're going to have grain and we're not going to starve. So now, now that you know that, you can take comfort in it and you can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Go ahead, soul. You now have permission to relax and eat and drink and be merry. Right? That's, that's what a healthy soul wants to feel like. And you can do that. Why can you do that? Because your fear of provision has been set aside. Your barns are full. And physically, you're not going to starve to death. And Jesus steps into this man's life and says, wow, you are terribly one-dimensional. You, you have a game plan for your body, for your physical existence, but you've got no game plan for your soul. And whether it happens tonight or in the future, when your physical body expires and your soul is required of you, what will you do then? Have you lived your life in such a way that you have poured into your soulish dimension of your life so that you are ready to stand before God? Now listen, a soul only comes to life and is healthy as it communes with God. That's the only reason that a soul gets healthy and is lively. So to pre- there's nothing that's going to prepare me to stand in God's presence like communing with him and knowing him and walking with him and experiencing him. And be, be careful. Don't, don't just give yourself, you know, religious permission. I find it interesting. Of all the things this man wants to talk about with the Savior of the universe, right? He's come to town. Really? That Jesus guy? Yeah, like the guy who raises the dead and he's taught all kinds of incredible things and he's, he's blown people's minds? He's here? Are you serious? Where? Well, there's a giant crowd. It'll take you hours to get to see him. I'm going. I'm going. And he stands in line and he pushes through the crowd and he finally gets up to Jesus. And what does he want to talk about? Are you kidding me? Jesus, can you make my brother over there share the inheritance with me? (laughs) What? You you don't don't want to talk about atonement? (laughs) You don't want to bring up forgiveness of sins? You don't want to talk about restoration to the living God? Having your soul cleansed of all of its problems and its sinfulness and having a hope that can never go away? You don't want to talk about that? No, no. 
I, I, just, I just want to get this cleared up because I'm, I'm in a pitiful conflict right now with my brother over some stuff. I know nobody in this room has ever experienced that. I want to ask you to raise your hand. Have you ever had a relative die? I want to ask you to raise your hand because almost the story is miserably the same for everybody after that. It's amazing how conflict just follows. A relative with some stuff dies. All of a sudden, your family grows fangs and claws and it's every man for himself and lawyers get involved and what? What happened? Well, that's what this guy's going through because life was about what you had and what it could provide for you. See, this is just about I'm going to be able to eat a meal. This is about internal security. This man, Jesus saw it. That's why he told the parable the way he did. This man wants to feel secure in his life on the inside. And his basis for feeling secure, it's not God. It's how much stuff he has in his barns. Listen, I, you know, you, as you go into 2017, I, none of us escaped this. I don't escape this. I look at what I can and can't provide. I look at the needs of my family. And, you know, and I have to fight like anybody else the, the insecurity of that. I look at my barns and I wonder whether they're big enough for the future. And I have to fight the insecurity of that. But I need to be reminded that my life does not consist of these things. I came to life when the Spirit of God breathed upon me and resurrected me from a death where I had a heartbeat and I had barns, but I didn't have life. And God came and brought me life. And whether I got big barns or little barns or no barns, my life is made of something else besides that stuff. And this is where Jesus goes. I'll just tell you, if you misplace the issue of how you define life. What does life really consist of? When do you feel healthy? When do you feel like you're thriving? If you misplace that, you, you cannot avoid misery. You cannot. Right? This guy doesn't have permission to relax and be merry until he can find his security in something. But what if we were intended to find our security in God? What if that's where life really is for me? One of my favorite psalms, and I encourage you to spend some time in it, and it just comes to mind in my heart a lot. Psalm 73, you've been here for very long, you probably heard me quote that psalm more than any other psalm. Because Psalm 73 starts with the story of a man who acknowledges the goodness of God. Surely God is good to those who are pure at heart. He's good to Israel. But then he tells his own story. But as for me... <laughs> Wow, I almost stumbled. My feet nearly slipped. And he goes on and tells this story about how wayward his soul became and how troubled it became. That he looked up at the temporary natural dimensions of life and people and how they were living and what they had, how easy it looked for them and how challenging it was for him, how big their barns were and how small his were. And it made him angry. It made him compare it made him jealous. It made him insecure, fearful. It made him shake his fist at God. 
question God and his goodness. That's why he starts off saying, hey, surely God is good, but I didn't always feel that way. I was P.O.'d at God because I looked out at these people and they had it together. They had the good life. Oh, did they really? Or did they have a dusty dimension of life that was well dressed up? And he becomes aware of the disconnect. Somehow he had drifted. Somehow, listen, you get off into the realm of only physical things and you just drift from God. And he did. And he, and he says, until I came into the sanctuary of God. What is the sanctuary of God? It's, it's the place where God's presence dwells. See, so until I came to that point, I came back. And you read the end of the psalm. And it renews his mind. It fixes his gauge. It, it, it changes the way he defined their lives. Suddenly he realizes, wait, wait, what am I thinking? These dusty friends over here are going to stand before God in judgment. They, they don't have life. They're going to be bankrupt on that day. But me, I, I have life. What have I been thinking? And it begins to refresh him and change his mind. And he looks out at his life and he says, you know, God, who have I in heaven but you? And besides you, there's nothing on earth that I desire. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God, you are the strength of my life and my portion. You are my portion. And he ends the psalm by saying, surely the nearness of God is my good. Right? That's a soul that knows what it's like to be on the receiving end of God going, receive from me. That man received something from God and it renovated his life and it rescued him from his misery because he had let his life become one dimensional. Listen, guys, do, let's not do this this year. Let's not let our lives become one dimensional. If we have come to know Christ, then the greatest thing that's going to refresh us is the exchange between us and God, that sense of surely the nearness of God is my good. And so my question is, what do you have in place this year to watch over the vital signs of your soul, the condition of your soul on the inside? Now make no mistake, as we started this, you are responsible for your soul. I say that underneath the umbrella that God is sovereign and he is at work and he, is, he will always be God. All right, that's, that's true when the Proverbs screams out at us and says, keep watch over your heart. Right? You don't answer back to that with, what the heck was that guy thinking? Doesn't he know God is sovereign? Yes, I think the writer of Proverbs knew God was sovereign. And yet he still writes, you keep, you keep watch over your heart. Guard it, pay attention to it, know its condition. So that's everybody's assignment as we walk into this realm this year. But then the Bible turns around and says, not just you keep watch over it. How about if God assigns some people to your life to help keep watch over your soul? Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. Right, so here's God's health plan for the soul. You keep watch over it, 
and then he will put doctors in your life, spiritual doctors who will keep watch over your souls as well. Both of those are needed. And these leaders are encouraged that those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So apparently, the role of pastors and elders in keeping watch over our souls is to our advantage. I get an advantage from that. In the journey of life, I get an advantage. That's advantageous for me. And if I pull it out of my life, it's disadvantageous to me. I need that in my life. Right? And you guys recognize this. You go, you go visit doctors, right? I go to, you know, my primary issues, uh, doctor issues are skin issues and skin cancer issues. And my doctors have provided me with an advantage in that category because sometimes I don't know what I'm looking at. I look at something on my skin and I go, all right, it's a dot. There's something about my knowledge and insight into those dots that they don't go off the same way. Right? I got doctors who look at it and they go, mm, I'm a little concerned about that one. We're going to punch a hole in you and take a piece of your body <laughs> just to check out what that thing is. I would never have messed with it. Doesn't hurt. Doesn't look that weird to me. Right? Sometimes we look into our soul and we go, doesn't hurt. Doesn't look that weird to me. And, and we need soul doctors who will sit with us. And sometimes they will say, hey, look, I know you're not concerned about this, but I'm concerned about this. And bring some things to our attention. Right? Now, listen, I'm not talking about, because this is human beings, but you do see in Hebrews, this is God's assigned people in our lives. I'm not talking about people subscribing to other people's opinions, people subscribing to other people's traditions. You know, you don't want to go see your soul doctor because he's like freaked out over long hair and you come in with long hair and he's like, oh, thou shalt not have long hair. It's like, that's not the kind of stuff. Pastors need to, you know, not fall into those kinds of categories because what it does is it, is it dislodges what we should be doing. I remember what we want to do is we want to bring our souls in contact with the, the MRI of the scriptures, right? The scriptures reveal stuff that's there. They show us things, right? It's like an x-ray machine, right? Hebrews 4, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, that soulless part of me, the the Bible, the scriptures are going to do that. So hopefully all a pastor and elder does in meeting with us is sort of take this MRI and just hold it up to us and let it speak and let it reveal whatever it reveals. And listen, and Peter said something last week as I listened to him warn you guys where we're going with vital signs. Uh, and, and it sounded like a little bit of a, hey, okay, brace yourself because you're going to visit with a pastor and a pastor is going to sort of, introduce you to things you don't really want to hear. Do you know what vital signs are in your life? V vital signs aren't things that are imposed on your body. They're your body telling what's going on. You get that? Right, so you, you know, you're in the hospital and they slap that blood pressure thing around you. And I mean, I'll just curse out the, the nurse when she gives you the numbers. 
right? Now they're just, they're just too high. And you don't like that. You don't like the way that feels. That feels condemning. It's like, I feel like I'm not taking care of myself. And you just curse her out, right? Pulled out the thermometer, says 101. 101? What are you trying to put on me? What's wrong with you? I would not be 101. I'm as normal as can be. I'm 98.6. There's no way. Man, I, I feel so condemned by what you're saying. How many of y'all do that to your doctors when you go visit them? <laughs> your body is saying something. Your body is saying, I'm a little hot right now. <laughs> I'm 101. Your blood pressure is saying something, right? Your vital signs, they are speaking. And in your soul, they're speaking, right? Here's your physical vital signs. John Hopkins says, vital signs are measurements of the body's most basic functions. The four main vital signs routinely monitored by medical professionals, healthcare providers include the following. Body temperature, pulse rate, respiration rate, your breathing rate, and your blood pressure. All right, these are the vital signs that help a doctor to detect there's some issues going on here. Right, now, for what we're going to be doing here, I, I particularly notice out of these four, three of them, interestingly, are all cardiopulmonary related. The temperature one is a little off to its side, but three of them are all about this. Your body, to exist and be healthy, it needs to reach outside of you, grab some oxygen, and pull it inside of you, and then distribute it all over your body, and then it needs to expel that again. Right? We call that, the fancy word for that is breathing, right? And so if you're alive, you're breathing. And when you stop breathing, you are, oh, this is good. See, this is the kind of medical class I could, have, I could have been a part of. So in an interesting way, you and I spiritually breathe as well. Spiritually, I am in need of reaching into God, the knowledge of God, the nearness of God, the life of God, and breathing that in. And there's a circulation system that God has put in me, right? I believe it's like the Holy Spirit became the, brought my heart to life. And the blood distributes that knowledge of God into the tissues and cells of my entire existence. And so this oxygen, this knowledge of God gets transferred into my body. And then I exhale as a normal part of breathing. So these, these are the dimensions of the Christian life. So here's what we'd like to do. We'd like to get you to analyze your vital signs. And then we'd like to sit with you and talk to you about your vital signs. And I thank God, you know, I read that passage that calls on leaders to be followed and obeyed and that they are to Watch over souls with joy in doing it. All right, so when I suggested that we do this to the staff and to the elders, that, that we're going to take several hundred people and create visits with all of them, none of them said, are you nuts? <laughs> don't you know I'm busy enough as it is? I don't have time to do this and do this and do this, and you, you want to do What? Every one of them was very excited about the possibility of being able to sit with every member in this church and check your vital signs. Because in this land that you and I live in, Christianity is becoming so unhealthy. 
There are people that have called Christianity, Christianity, and whatever they got going on, it doesn't look anything like spiritual life. It looks so dysfunctional and diseased. So, you know, it's possible that, you know, I could be like, like I am with my physical body and say, no, that's fine. That's not a problem. I'm good. I just keep going. And yet my doctor would sit down and say, hey, you're not going to keep going for long with that. You need to address that. That needs to be dealt with. And there are dimensions in our souls that the same exact thing needs to happen. So here's where we go with vital signs. We're going to have a few messages in the coming weeks that deal with this breathing dimension and how God distributes his life to us just to get us to better understand our soul a bit. But the first thing we want to ask you to do is what Peter referred to last week is we want you to sit down and fill out your doctor visit form. All right, so you know when you go to a doctor, they give you that little clipboard and you try to remember things that you can't remember the last time you answered that question? All right, well, we've designed eight questions for you to visit. You can do this in two ways. Uh, you can go online. I think you're going to get an email uh, letting you know that here's, here's how you do it. Click on this button. It'll take you to a form. The form will let you check off the things that matter to you. And the questions will explain what that is, but they have to, have to do with your spiritual breathing. They have to do with your appetite and your health uh, in matters of the soul. So you'll get a chance to examine yourself, right? So here's my, my I think I put these instructions at the bottom of your page there. Uh, one, here's your steps to spiritual health in 2017. One, don't miss the vital signs messages. That'll be in the month of January, perhaps beyond. Second, fill out your vital signs questionnaire. Do it online. If, you don't, if you're not an online person, uh, you can pick up hard copies today. Fill that out and just turn it back into us. Uh, third, join a spiritual health club. We call that covenant groups around here. Uh, fourth, make an appointment to see your soul doctor. Uh, so what we're going to do between the pastoral staff and the elders is, is we're going to create uh, availability and time slots that you can call into the church office and say, hey, in the next few weeks, I'm available these times and these days. Is there a way that I could get an appointment? Um, and then Georgina is going to have the task of matching you together with available time slots and, and people. Uh, so listen, we want to do this with everybody. Right, so I know we can't do everybody immediately, and we're thinking this is going to take at least six months, probably well into the year, for us to get around to everybody. Uh, but, you know, we, if, if you're feeling like you could use an emergency room visit, please be the first one to call this week. <laughs> Uh, if you're just not like, it's just a checkup, man. Uh, it's like, no, I'm dying and I need to see somebody right away. Let Georgina know that when you call, Sally, this is not a doctor visit, it's an emergency room. Um, and she'll get you set up for that. And last there, have a plan for your spiritual health, not just your physical health this year, right? And we'll talk some more about that as we move along in the series and study your vital signs. But guys, please, um, the Bible educates us about this, right? The Bible's got a lot to say about the physical and soulish dimensions of who we are. You might be amazed to discover how much of life doesn't feel like it's peaceful, rejoicing, fulfilling, because we're trying to fix it with barns. 
we're trying to get a better exercise program and we're trying to look better so we might impress people a certain way or listen your barns will never give you that because life consists of something more than that and we want to get about that we want 2017 to be the healthiest spiritual year that each of us have and so that's what we'll do in the next few weeks we'll just talk about healthy souls and, and how our souls operate but let me just pray for us and, and ask you to consider making your doctor's appointment and filling out that form. Everybody needs to fill that out. It's eight questions. Try to limit it. It's not a real long form. It won't take you too long. But it's just an analysis of what's your, what's your soul saying to you when you ask it these questions. And, and that'll give us something to talk with you further about. Oh, and by the way, uh, covenant groups that start meeting next week are going to make use of those forms as well. And we'll have some discussion opportunities for condition of soul and, and the health issues that seem to be surfacing in our own hearts and lives. So you'll be visiting some of this in your health club uh, on whatever night y'all meet. Let's pray together. Father, I love the opportunity that each year presents to start off afresh and put a, put a new step forward into being healthy. Well, that, that's a good thing. Things that are alive need to be healthy. And so, God, we, we want to be healthy physically, but, God, we don't want to prioritize that. Like, that's the ultimate dimension of our lives. So, Father, open our hearts. Let us, let us be honest before you. Let us discover the, the health of our own soul. God, let us receive input from your word. Let it analyze and travel deep into the thoughts and intentions of our lives. Lord, what liberation may come. Lord, what knowledge may come to us that I don't, I don't have to be at conflict with the brother who won't turn loose the inheritance or some other person in my life who's clinging to something that I have labeled life. God, what liberty awaits us as we see life through the lens that you, the God who made us and breathed your life into us and sent your son to restore that life to us. God, that's where life is. God, make us healthier than we've ever been this year for the sake of your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.